Hello, welcome to the Comprehensive Canadian University Guide, where we invite guests from various universities and institutions across Canada to speak about their experiences and provide helpful tips for prospective students. If you like this episode, please rate and share us on iTunes and follow us at CCUG Podcast on Instagram. Just a disclaimer, we're not associated with any of the universities or institutions featured on our podcast. This content is accurate as of the publishing date and is only applicable for the 2020-21 academic school year. We do not take any responsibility for future changes in admission protocols. Hi, you're listening to the Comprehensive Canadian University Guide. I'm Vansh. And I'm Simon. And today we have a very special episode with two guests from the Lorraine Scholars Foundation. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, my name is Megan Moore. I am the CEO of the Lorraine Scholars Foundation. I am a, an alumna myself, so I'm a scholar from 1998. Never thought in a million years that I would be end up leading the organization. If an interviewer had asked me what I would be doing in 20-some years, I don't think I would have said this, but it's a huge honor and a privilege to get to do this work every day, and thanks for having us. And I'm Sarah Abdesami. I'm also an alumna from this year, actually. I was a Lawrence Scholar in 2016, and I graduated in May 2020. I did my undergrad at Dahas University, and I studied medical sciences with a certificate in genetics. Awesome. So our first question, uh, could you briefly introduce what the Loran Award is? Okay, so one of the things I think that's unique about the Loran Award is that we don't actually call it a scholarship because it is so much more than a scholarship. It's not just a money transaction. We actually see it as investing in the lives of these young people who have a great capacity, hopefully, to go on and do wonderful things in their lives. Um, it does involve a lot of wonderful scholarship-like things. Um, so it's granted for undergraduate education in Canada. Um, there's a four-year tuition waiver, four-year living stipend. Um, there's a summer program that enables scholars to gain work experience. There's a one-on-one -on -one mentorship program. And then there's a lot of opportunities for scholars to come and gather together. So the total value of that, we talk about it as being valued up to $100,000 over four years. So it's a significant award, um, but really and truly, it's sort of something that people take on as opposed to win. And now we'll go into the next section of the episode where we talk a little bit more about the benefits of the award. So the first question is quite simply, what do recipients of the Lorraine Award receive? Um, so again, sort of as I had just said, basically what you're receiving when you become a Loran Scholar, I think, and I think this will be relevant to Sarah too, because we're now both alumna, is really membership in this lifetime community of people who are guided by our core values, which are character, service, and leadership. And so really we talk about once you're a Loran Scholar, you're a Loran Scholar for life. Um, and that's really significant. So with that, in those first four years, uh, Loran Scholars do receive a $10,000 tuition waiver from any one of our 25 uh, university partners across the country. Um, and that's uh, uh, $10,000 a year, so $40,000 in total, $10,000 living stipend that matches that tuition waiver. Um, there's up to $10,000 in funding for our, our summer program, which is a tri-sectoral work experience program. And Sarah has had some really amazing opportunities that I hope you will get the chance to hear about. Um, I was just reading about them for our annual report, Sarah, which is fantastic. Um, uh, every scholar is matched with a mentor in their new university community so that they can get to know the community and have someone who's there over the four years of their undergraduate degree 
degree and often beyond um, who can coach them and, and help guide them. And then uh, we do make a, a point of bringing the scholars together once a year at a scholars retreat in the summer. There's an orientation outward bound expedition that happens for the first years. There's a whole fourth year transition program that we do for the fourth years. And there's some first and fourth year forums that we establish as well. Um, and then, as I said, in terms of this lifelong community of being a Loran scholar, we have a, a thriving alumni network um, that's connected via a virtual platform and geographical like in-city local hubs. Um, and so there's a whole community of alumni out there that are reinvesting their energy back into our scholar community as well. Um, and it's this wonderful sort of virtual, virtuous circle. Perfect. And just to focus in on, on the mentor aspect of it, who are some Loran mentors and how much of a role do mentors take in aiding their assigned Loran scholar? So the mentorship program is is a really uh, important part, and it's it's funny. I end up reading a lot of scholar thank you notes over the summer. It's a very fulfilling thing to read these thank you notes. But oftentimes the scholars comment on how surprising, how surprisingly valuable that mentorship relationship was. So it's something that I think sometimes people take for granted. Um, but we really try with our mentorship program. The purpose of it is not to give someone a mentor that is like them, because we expect that our scholars will find mentors in their area of study. You know, in the areas that they're volunteering in, they'll find mentors that are like them and can help them uh, in their own unique area. What we try and do is bring a scholar, uh, a mentor that is not like them so that they can have their perspective broadened. So what we look for in our mentors are engaged um, community, engaged individuals, either leader in business, nonprofit, public policy, any sector, it doesn't really matter, but really people who share our core values um, of giving back uh, and being uh, engaged and, and, and leading with integrity. Um, and those individuals range from you know, CEOs of banks to university professors to not-for-profit leaders. They really come from all walks of life across the country. They're located in the Scholars University town. Um, and uh, their, their purpose is really to broaden and bring a new perspective to the scholars. Awesome. And the next question is for you, Sarah. Who was your mentor and what did they teach you? Well, I had the pleasure of having Sarah Knight-Pierre as my mentor. As I mentioned, I graduated from Dalhousie University, so I was located in Halifax for four years. And Sarah is actually the CEO of United Way Halifax. And I know that Megan says that they're trying to find mentors who are not like us, but I felt like I had a very close connection to Sarah right away. Um, we had very similar core values. You know, she works for a not for-profit organization and I just admire her work so much and she's taught me so much uh, during those four years and I really hope I get to still learn from her even though I am now considered to be an alumna I really hope that I can continue that relationship with her because uh, I consider I still consider her to be my mentor to be honest I still have so much to learn from her and uh, overall, during those four years, she's really supported me in any endeavors that I was taking on. Uh, she always had my best interest uh, during that time. Uh, she's taught me how to take care of myself, you know, when you're so busy trying to balance your uh, extracurriculars, but also your work and your studies it can be really difficult to think about yourself so whenever I had a chance to meet with her she would always you know ask me about how I was doing not necessarily what I was doing uh, so I think that's uh, the main thing that I learned from her is that I should take the time to take care of myself and 
um, tried to do things that I actually enjoyed and take time for myself. So yeah, and she supported me in many different situations. You know, whenever I had questions, she was always there for me. Uh, she welcomed me with open arms to Halifax. You know, it was a city that I didn't know much about. So right away, she um, showed me all the cool places to go visit, all the cool places to go study in, you know, coffee shops and all that. So uh, I'm very, very thankful to the Land Scholars Foundation uh, for the pairing because it was truly a, a great relationship. And I want to say that each scholar's relationship with their mentor is different. I would consider my relationship pretty informal with my mentor. And uh, usually people ask me, you know, uh, how many times did you meet with her? Was it a bit of a, you know, did you did you have to force, you know, those meetings? But it was just something that I did naturally, you know, like I would send her emails or uh, text her, even sometimes call her, you know, like, are you busy this time around? Because, you know, she's still a CEO of an organization, so she's pretty busy. But each scholar's uh, relationship is different. You can, um, you know, meet with them a couple times a semester. Uh, truly, it's based on what you want from that relationship. That sounds fantastic. So just to pivot a little bit, could you tell us a bit more about the scholars' tri-sectoral summer work experiences? So uh, what we focus on with our summer work experience program is, again, it's, it's the theme of broadening the perspective of our scholars. So giving them a, a framework where they explore work in the not-for-profit sector, so community development oriented work. Another summer um, has to happen in public policy, so figuring out how public policy is made in Canada or internationally, how it works. And then a summer in enterprise, so some sort of for-profit uh, business. And the reason that we encourage scholars to get that breadth of work experience is because no matter what discipline you're studying at university, um, we believe that the young people who are going to be able to solve our future challenges are going to be those who are integrating solutions from various um, sectors and streams and, you know, different, different ideas that will come through uh, the combination of and sort of the borrowing from different industries and sectors. Um, so that's one of the things that we really try and do, but also just recognizing that, you know, at 17, when you head out to your undergraduate uh, studies, like you may have an idea of what you think you want to do, um, but there's so much more of the world that's out there and there's so much that's unknown. When I was going through as a scholar, the summer program wasn't quite as developed, but I honestly had no idea what public policy was. And I ended up working in the Ministry of Culture, like as a, that was part of my career tra trajectory. And I never would have understood what the, the, the function of public policy was um, had I not had encouragement through the Loran Scholars Program to explore that. I think there's lots of opportunities um, when you're passionate in something to just keep going down that pathway and we believe in doing that because that's how our scholars will thrive but we like to throw in you know these little like detours so that you can bring in other elements to what your passion is and inform and sort of have a much more comprehensive understanding of how it fits in with the world so just one quick follow-up yeah so are these uh summer work experiences mandatory or are they opted into um, they're like mandatory unless there's really extenuating circumstances. So there's a proposal um, process that happens. So scholars basically submit a short form that's sort of like, this is what I'm thinking of. And then if, if the, the foundation works with them and if it's an approved summer, then they submit a long form. It's really scholar driven. So we have scholars who have found work placements all over the place. Um, Sarah can tell you more about hers. I know that uh, you'll be curious to hear about that. But basically it's an opportunity both for the scholars to exercise that independence and autonomy and sort of seeking out things that they think will contribute to their own path um, and it's also uh, uh, an encouragement as I said to sort of like 
purposefully push yourself outside of your comfort zone so that you you might be you know we have scholars who are maybe like diehard anti-capitalists but you know they find themselves working in a bank and they're like wow you know I had no idea this is how you know the finance sector actually influences the work that I might be interested in focusing myself on in the future and so it it, it is uh like mandatory to the extent that it's part of the scholar experience and we would hope that everyone would take advantage of that um, and also I should say that as part of it, as I mentioned, I don't actually know, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, there's up to $10,000 of funding. So understanding that, that organizations, not-for-profit organizations, and even some policy experiences, those organizations might not have the capacity to take on a summer student. We provide the funding for the scholars so they can access up to $10,000 for those two summers where they might not get paid. We expect for the enterprise summer that a scholar will be paid. Um, but for the other two, if you're traveling, um, we encourage out of those summers that at least one of those summers be in a province where you're not going to school so that you experience a different region of Canada. And another one of those summers, if possible, be an international experience. So you can have that broadened perspective of being outside of Canada. Um, and so again, being able to access funding to travel abroad uh, is an important part of the award too. And does Loran help its scholars connect with potential employers and summer experience opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you can imagine if you're an organization that that seeks out the most exceptional students across Canada, like employers will be clamoring to have Loran scholars as their summer students. So we have a lot of relationships with employers who have had great experiences with scholars in the past and are saying, you know, we'll take another scholar. But again, it's really up to the scholar. So it's really what fits in with that scholar's unique path and interest. So we post a ton of opportunities because we have a lot of established career sort of like uh, industry partners or not-for-profit partners or policy partners where there have been a string of scholars who like always do a summer experience there. But it's not like we guarantee that that's going to happen for the employer or from the scholar's perspective. So on neither end is it sort of like uh, a mandatory, like there's always going to be a scholar here every summer or we're always going to be able to post a position. Um, we help out when we can. It, it's an exercise in you know, job searching for the scholar, like industry exploration, figuring out, you know, where I might like to apply my talents um, will help in that. We don't sort of like serve jobs up on a silver platter and say, here, you can pick from these ones. But we definitely have an intranet for scholars where we post opportunities. They still have to apply, you know, and, and get the job on their own merit. And on a similar note, Sarah, would you mind telling us about your specific summer work experiences? Of course. Yeah, I, I'd like to just echo a little bit what Megan mentioned is that the reason why we have these summer experiences is for us to kind of broaden our horizons and to try to try something new. And I can say that without the Lorraine Award, I would not have had these experiences 100%. And uh, my first summer was actually the public policy summer. And I had no idea what public policy was either. I thought that politics or policy work was not something that I'd be interested in. But right away, when I went and worked for the Office for Disability Issues in Ottawa, I found that this was definitely something that I wanted to consider as potentially something that I wanted to work in. And uh, ironically, I currently work um, as a public servant for Accessibility Standards Canada. So I still continue working in public policy. And this was definitely all because of my first experience during uh, the first year uh, summer internship that I had in Ottawa and during that summer I was basically helping out implementing the first accessibility legislation in Canada which was implemented in 2017. It was definitely a great experience since I wanted to continue working in that area 
And the second year I went to London, UK. Again, ha having that experience abroad was very important to me. So I thought that going to London, it would be a great way for me to gain that experience. And I there I worked for Business Disability International. I kind of wanted to know more about what um, other countries were doing in terms of um, disability issues and accessibility. So I went and worked on this campaign called Purple Light Up. Again, this is a not-for-profit organization. So this time it was my community internship and I was going on with businesses and trying to talk to them about this campaign uh, to try to show the positive contribution that people with disabilities do on our society because usually we always think about the barriers or the obstacles that we have to get rid of in our in our community but we tend to forget the positive contribution that uh, persons with disabilities kind of contribute to our society so this was a way for us to to show that and to raise awareness in a bit and then uh, my third internship right after my third year was working for a newspaper company. Uh, this was my enterprise summer. So it was, again, something that I would probably not have done working for an organization uh, like a newspaper company. And it was probably one of my favorite summers as well. It was a very good experience. I got to see the behind the scenes, how it all worked. I worked with the membership membership. Um, team where we tried to find ways to engage more with the subscribers that we had and again it was a very very fun experience and I probably wouldn't have had that experience without the Lawrence Scholars Foundation so overall these were my experiences and I found them to be amazing and during that time I had the full support of the of the Lawrence Scholars Foundation so it was great to have someone there to support me along the way, especially when I went to London, because I had to get visas and I got to have different things, uh, in insurance and all that. So just to have uh, the foundation there to support me along the way, but also other land scholars who had gone uh, to London to complete their summers as well. It was definitely um, a great and alleviating my stress a little bit during that time too. And Sarah, what has your experience been like with the Loran Network and meeting other people who are also Loran scholars? Of course. Oh my gosh. It's definitely my favorite thing to do is whenever we have retreats or we have social gatherings and even like in Halifax where we meet uh, with each other, it's always my favorite thing to do is to get to know new Lauren scholars because they're amazing people and they've done so much for their community and I'm always inspired by them. Um, we keep in touch all the time, me and my class like of 2016. So it's just great to have that network of individuals who are continually trying to make an impact in their, in their community. Uh, like Megan said, this is some this is not just a scholarship. This is way more than a scholarship. It's a community that you stay in for the rest of your life. And I really hope I can continue on to work with the organization and kind of help potential learning scholars who also will be coming on because this is definitely something that will keep happening because we we want more people to come into the network because we're all trying our best to you know make an impact in, in our community so yeah it's always one of my favorite things to do whenever we go to uh, retreats and I'm kind of sad that I don't get to to go to the summer retreats anymore because I'm considered to be an alumna hopefully I'll get invited to one Megan hopefully very soon <laughs> so it's 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 a lot of fun you know we're uh, at first when I joined I joined as a, a learned scholar I didn't know what to expect I thought I had to be professional and 
you know, stay in my lane and things like that, but they're amazing people and they're always there to help you. Uh, it's just amazing. All right. So now we'll go into the application section. Megan, could you tell us a little bit more about what the application looks like and what the timeline is for applying? Sure. Um, so for all your listeners, applications are open now. Uh, the sponsored pool, which I know we can get into the details between sponsored and direct pool, but our sponsored pool closes um, on Thursday, October the 15th. So sort of soon. Uh, and then the direct pool application uh, deadline is Thursday, October the 22nd. So the sponsored pool comes through, uh, you're either sponsored by your high school or your stage up. Um, and that is the first deadline. Um, uh, and a reminder for young people who are thinking of applying, your reference also needs to be submitted before that date. So so just make sure that you give people lots of notice. The application is all online. So it, you go on and you can fill your form. You can save it and revisit it. Um, but it, it's quite streamlined from an online process. Uh, but it's just important, again, the encouragement, if, if you're all sitting at home doing your remote schoolwork, is just to make sure that, that your references know that they need to get their reference in before the deadline as well. Um, the direct pool is for uh, students who come to us directly, not sponsored by their high school or their stage up, um, which is still a, a wonderful channel to come through. Uh, it's it's just we have a we give them a week later so oftentimes if students perchance miss that sponsored pool on the 15th they can still uh they still have a chance to apply through the direct pool that closes on the 22nd of october 8 p.m eastern <laughs> all right so next we have a, a rather broad question what makes a strong loran application Ah, it's like the silver bullet question. It's like, tell me what to write and I'll write it. Um, I think it's pretty impossible to isolate what makes a strong uh, Loran application because our definition of merit and excellence is incredibly contextual. So what we're looking for really is what the student has done with the opportunities that they've been given in life. So there's no bar that we're comparing people to. There's no sort of rubric that we're looking to check a bunch of boxes and therefore you get put onto the next stage. It's an intentionally holistic evaluation of each applicant. Um, I would say overall, we're looking for applicants who are guided by their own sense of service, of service, sorry, um, that they act with integrity when they're leading other people, um, that they show a strength of character in the way that they lead others. So in the essay questions, we're really looking uh, to explore like what is your most significant uh, contribution to your community? Like why do you do what you do? Like what is it that motivates you to, you know, volunteer for your softball league or whatever it is that you're doing? Um, and in terms of leadership, we're really not looking for the fully formed leader. We're not expecting people to have, you know, founded clubs and started, you know, like legacy foundations, we're really looking for leadership potential because we understand that all applicants are 17 and at 17, you've had a certain set of opportunities in life and there's a whole lot more time to grow and develop. And what we're looking for is that seed that if we invest in and provide this breadth of opportunities, we'll really be able to flourish and thrive as a Loran scholar. So next we're wondering how important roughly, I know this is a rather holistic process, but how important roughly are the applicants' grades, extracurriculars, and essay responses kind of in comparison with one another? So I would say out of all of the awards that are out there, ours has the least focused on, focus on grades. Um, we are intentionally focused on sort of the character, service, and leadership side. The academics doesn't really fall in there. We have a minimum threshold of 85%, um, but really the, the focus is not on the transcript. Um, our founder, Bob Cluett, the reason that he started this award in the first place was because he recognized that the people who got, you know, the 99% and came on campus, he was a professor at York University. Um, you know, those ones who 
were either the super brainiacs or the other people who were getting scholarship money were like the super athletes. Oftentimes they were so focused on like, can I get that extra percent in my mark? Or like, can I shave an extra minute off of my time? They were just focused on themselves. And so they weren't actually contributing to the campus community. And so his thought experiment was, what if we actually select not on marks or super high athletics, but on the characteristics that are gonna make somebody a contributing member of this campus community and of society ultimately, right? And so looking at character and service and leadership is an important shift away from the traditional measures that you see on a transcript um, because that actually tells some us more about what that person's going to do you know when they're 40 or 50 or 60 years old in society versus I'm really good at school and you know I know how to an ace to test so I think overall um, like the grades are still important because you need to have certain you know traits that you know like discipline and, and attention to detail to be able to do well in school but the 85 percent is like our, our threshold um in terms of extracurriculars and the essay responses like the extracurriculars tell us a little bit about sort of what makes you up like what 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 it is that you occupy your time with how you invest your time um we don't just look for extracurriculars we look for you know like do you have a part-time job like do you do you work that's that's an important component of an applicant um, because that might actually determine how much time they do have to spend you know doing clubs and, and committees. Um, and then <clears throat> the essay responses, of course, are the that's the opportunity for applicants just to give us that, you know, the first person voice, which is so different. You could see student council on like, you know, thousands of applications. But if you write about student council in your essay, then we get to understand what that means to you and how that's impacted your life and you've impacted that community versus just like I was student council president is a line on my CV. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. So Megan, you mentioned that Lorraine specifically looks for a candidate's potential for leadership. What specifically do you mean by this? Yeah, it's a really good question and it's pretty core to what we do. So potential for us is really in the decisions that, that candidates are making. So, you know, do they act when others won't? Um, are they taking the path that others don't? Um, are they able to stand up for what's right in the face of adversity? Are they able to act from a sense of inner directedness versus sort of what the, the madding crowd is saying? Um, do they have followers? Like, do they care about bringing other people along with them? That, that idea of that potential for leadership is like, if, if you're doing something, it might not be super flashy and it might not be like you are the like capital L leader, but are you doing something where you have other people around you and you're helping other people? You're creating positive change for more people than just yourself. Um, and I think that whole idea for potential for leadership is, is, is the eye to always making things better than how you found them, which I think is a really important characteristic of really just trying to improve the situation in your community, the lives of others, a certain issue or topic. I think that's something where there's that potential for leadership is if you have an eye for like, something's not right here. And, and I have a certain set of talents. I think I can apply my energies to this. Um, and, and in so doing, we can see the potential for leadership. But as I said, we recognize that all of our applicants, you know, at 17, you've had a certain set of experiences, but really like to be a quote unquote leader, like it's a lifelong journey, right? It's sort of like uh, an illusion to suppose that you've got your fully formed leader. And so I think leaders are always learning. Um, and so we're just looking to identify that potential at a certain point in time, which we know is just going to continue to grow. Awesome. And, and next, we're wondering, how do you select the new cohort? Because obviously there's so many applicants and there's so few scholars. Yeah, uh, it is such a huge community project. I have to say one of the things that's pretty emblematic about uh, Loran is we are we are defined by the generosity of our community in so many different ways. We have over 400 individuals across the country who all volunteer with us to read our paper applications. We usually get about 5,000 applications a year to take that 5,000, bring it down to the 500 
that we'll see in person. And then at the in-person, uh, either at the regional or the national level, we have another set of volunteers who do all of the interviewing. Um, our selections process is, is intentionally comprehensive and rigorous because we really wanna get to know uh, the person who's underneath you know, that piece of paper and the person that's really core to who you, you are and why you do what you do. So it's really important to us um, that we have uh, as much FaceTime and, you know, like right now we're going to be doing it virtually, but really like opportunities to speak and to have our, our, our interviews are very discussion based because it's really important just to converse with every applicant um, to find out what, what, again, like what, what has, has life delivered to them and what have they done with it? That's, that's a discussion, you know, that's not like a checkbox and that's not a line on your CV. That's a really like thought provoking opportunity to reflect on sort of like, why am I here? How am I going to contribute? And why do I feel, you know, motivated to contribute? Um, so again, as I said, we do go from this great big national pool down to the 500 that we see in person and then that 500 gets reduced again to the, the number that we see at national selections. Um, and again, it's a combination of in-person one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews, usually in-person, it's going to be virtual this year, but one-on-one -on -one interviews, panel interviews, um, and then also what's really important about the, the selections process is just the opportunity for scholars or for candidates to come together and speak with one another. So that, that day that you usually have when you're in person, we're gonna be trying to replicate it online, but basically having the opportunity to meet other young people from your region who are doing you know totally different things, but maybe have some similar core values to you, um, that's as transformative as the opportunity to interview is. Um, and the other thing that I'll say about sort of finding that next cohort, uh, like we don't have any quotas, we're not sort of looking to fill any sort of quotas, but when we, when we are guided by those core values of character, service and leadership, um, it really gives all of our candidates an opportunity to reflect on what that means for them and their lives. And so we have, you know, candidates who don't necessarily go through to successfully be a Lorand scholar, who've had a really like transformative moment in some of those interview conversations and it, it helps them along in their journey. And we care as much about that, uh, you know, like we try and um, at every level we have regional level awards. So there's a there's a $2,000 award that you can be recognized for at the regional level. If you make it to the nationals and aren't named a scholar, there's a $5,000 finalist award. Those secondary and tertiary awards are really important because they recognize the good work that so many high school students across and SAGEP students across the country are doing. Um, and that means something, you know, like we, we appreciate the fact that we can't give as many Loran awards as we would want to. We've got like a finite set of resources, but we really want to recognize that there's so many young people across the country who are doing great work um, and we want to be able to, to applaud them and celebrate them as well. All right. And our next question is, do the universities that students are applying to affect their chances at all? Not at all, I will say. Um, basically, uh, what we understand is when you're applying for the Loran Award, you're applying from your current context. So in your current context, maybe with your constraints, you're only looking at local schools. When you get named a Loran Award uh, award winner, a Loran Scholar, that's when your world sort of opens up to you. And there's this whole breadth of opportunities all of a sudden. If you have a tuition waiver, if you have a living stipend, you can explore other opportunities. Um, as soon as our, our next cohort is named, uh, each Loran Scholar has an opportunity to consult with the university coach. And that is really meant to help you pick the program that's best for you. Um, ideally, we look for scholars to stretch their boundaries so that they get to experience a new region. I mean, Sarah has come from Gatineau, where her home is, and got to explore the East Coast. It's an, it's an opportunity when you're given an award like that and you sort of freed from some of the financial barriers that you might have had when you're applying. So the, the choice of school on the application uh, doesn't make a difference when we're, when we're doing the review. Um, the hope is that if someone uh, becomes a Loran scholar, that their world is really opened and all of a sudden they're like, wow, okay, so now I could consider, you know, a couple of new options um, with this new opportunity. 
Perfect. And our last question for this section, could you briefly just touch on what the difference is between being a sponsored and a direct pool applicant? And is there any benefit to being one type of applicant over the other? Yeah, um, I guess first I would love to just ask Sarah, which pool you came through, sponsored or direct? I was sponsored. So do you want to talk about this experience of being a sponsored candidate then? Because you've had the most recent experience. Sure. Yeah, I can. Um, so basically each, I believe that each school does it differently, but we had to go through a mini interview during my time at my school in order to be sponsored. So since there's only three spots uh, to be sponsored for each high school, and I believe there's eight for CIGEPs. Um, so they had to choose three people from uh, my high school that were in 12th grade. And after I sent in my first initial application, they told me that I was one of the three that were going to be sponsored. Uh, right after that, I had to actually apply to the scholarship through the online portal. And I believe at the time I needed one reference uh, letter to be sent out. And I think a, one month or two months after, I got an email saying that I was invited to the regional interviews um, two hours away from my hometown. And it was, it was fun. Again, I'm a francophone, so I went through the French stream of, of the application. I'm not sure if there's any difference. I don't think there is. It's the same experience. So you go through the regional interviews. We were only 10 at that time. But I know that in cities such as Toronto, there's probably like 70 at the regional interviews, which is very comparable to the finals after that. Um, so at the regional, a couple the same day I was told if I was gonna be able to go to the finals. I did go to the finals in February. I know that Megan mentioned it previously, but I think one of the best things about the interviews is that I got to meet the other applicants. And those times were also my favorite times where I got to talk to them about their experiences and get to know them better because obviously these were potential learning scholars too. So uh, it was so great to be able to have that time to speak with them. And I was more comfortable to going into my interview after having so many different conversations with the other applicants. And they were obviously all amazing and doing amazing work in their community. So overall, that was my, that was my um, experience. Yeah, thanks. And so that's that's the sponsored pool experience. And as Sarah said, uh, high schools and stage will do it differently in terms of how those the sponsored candidates are selected to be put forward from that high school. Um, the sponsored pool candidates uh, are the ones that would make it to the in-person regionals. The direct pool, um, the deadline, as I said, is, is a week later. The direct pool is basically for the candidate who sees and hears and learns about what the Loran Award is and says, yeah, that's me. Like, I think I actually have that. And even if it's sort of like, I don't actually know if I if that's me, but I'm going to try anyways. You know, that's, that's the stream for those uh, young people to come through. And um, it's the same application so everybody's writing the same application um, it gets read by the same sort of group of assessors there's no sort of difference in the way we assess those applications the difference uh, in the past was that the direct pool candidates received they used to receive a virtual interview like this versus coming in in person this year however everybody's going to be having a virtual interview so in that sense the the playing field is a little bit leveled um, but uh, the direct pool candidates would come through a virtual interview and then from there they would have the opportunity, opportunity to be brought to nationals. Um, but I think in the past, I mean, we get almost an equal number of applicants through both streams. So almost 2,500 almost in sponsored and 2,500 in direct. Um, uh, but the, 
the odds of, of coming through as a sponsored candidate are slightly higher. We see more sponsored pool candidates than we do direct pool candidates. But again, it, it is really based on quality. So in a year, if we have a super strong direct pool, I mean, we will bring more direct pool candidates. Absolutely. Um, so I guess my, my advice to your listeners would be, you know, uh, don't, there, there's nothing, um, uh, there's no detriment to applying for the direct pool, like do it. Definitely. We have tons of phenomenal candidates who come through the direct pool. Um, and it's just as, uh, strong of a channel to come through to become a Loran scholar. It's just a little bit of a different path. All right. I think that's all of our questions for today. Thank you guys so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you both. This has been really fun to speak with you. So nice to see you or listen to you, Sarah. <laughs> Nice to see you too. And thank you so much for inviting us. That's all the questions we have for today. Again, a huge thank you to our guests. Stay tuned for future weekly episodes with other universities and programs. Don't forget to share and follow us on Instagram at CCUG Podcast. And feel free to message us if you'd like to request or have questions for a program not yet covered. Until next week, that'll be all. Have a nice day and we'll talk to you again soon.